0: hi this is jeff vandermeer the author of annihilation and you're listening to booked welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading i'm livius nedden now i'm rob olson the
1: book that we're going to be talking about tonight is miss massacre's guide to murder and vengeance by michael paul gonzalez a little bit about the author michael paul gonzalez is a writer living in los angeles california he founded thunderdome press an online writers collective and has published short stories in the Booked Anthology, which, I don't know, sounds kind of familiar. Mm-hmm. Appellation Undead, Gather Kindling, Colored Chalk, and various places around the web.
0: That bio should just read Michael Paul Gonzalez was in the Booked Anthology. That's all you need to That's, know. This
1: really sums it up, yeah. if you ask me.
0: All right, here's a little bit about the book. They stole her family. They destroyed her body. They left her for dead. Their mistake. If memory serves, Mrs. Robinson had a happy life with her husband and daughter. Memory is a tricky thing, and hers has been forever altered by a series of traumatic events that left her family dead and her body broken. She survives on a diet of painkillers and hatred, determined to have her revenge. She has a list of names, plenty of ammunition, and a secret admirer. What else does a girl need? Each kill gets her one step closer to her goal and inches from the brink of sanity, racing to finish her list before she goes crazy. The problem, of course, is that she's already there. cuckoo missus Robinson. <laughs> that's like a song or something, right? It's like a song or something. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, I, I, I think that's about a woman who has sex with a younger guy. I'm not really sure. Uh, though. Hmm. It's even before my time. that's i don't even know what to say to that yeah i know i know right (laughs) all right let's start at the top with this miss massacre's guide to murder and vengeance you would expect this to be kind of a goofy kind of tongue-in-cheek book right
1: yeah maybe satirical a little bit yeah
0: yeah a little bit of satire no not really not at all
1: no it's pretty
0: serious Yeah, it's straight up about a woman who's now legless and has lost her family. She's horribly disfigured, and she seeks revenge on a list of ten peoples. Okay, so
1: really quickly, structurally, uh, the book uh, is broken up into three parts. If I were really prepared, I would know what they were. But uh, I think one is talking about, uh, it's called, like, making a list, or making a list and checking it twice, or something like that. Uh The second part is called, um, like something about things changing and then there's like the third part, which is kind of like the end. But the um, book starts out with our, uh, our our protagonist having already suffered through these traumatic um, injuries that she's suffered, having already lost her, her family, and um, at the very beginning of setting out on her plot to kill the ten people that she holds responsible for it. And um, that first part is really very solitary where it's just us, with the narrator i mean with the with the protagonist and her her quest for vengeance and trying to piece together memories of what had happened to her
0: yeah and i i think i think your little slip there was uh, indeed we are with the narrator because this is a first person perspective um which is very very integral to the book our um our narrator protagonist um admittedly is kind of unreliable as she has very fuzzy memories of things that have happened to her to get her to this point.
1: Right. And on top of that, she's heavily using drugs because in the process of losing body parts, she got kind of hooked on painkillers and stuff like that. So um, in addition to memory loss due to trauma, there's there's the drug use and how that kind of muddles things as well. So very, very unreliable narrator to start out with, um, mixed with some amnesia and, and vengeance. Um, I think pretty well, um, telegraphs the fact
0: that things might not be what they seem. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't even know her name, which is why I didn't, had, I hadn't read the synopsis and it kind of blew me away that I was like, Oh yeah, that kind of comes up later that that's, you know, a whatever nickname for her or whatever. Right. But I, yeah, it just, I, Had I have launched into this, I'd be like our unnamed narrator. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. So it starts off and um, it's a little murky in my opinion at the beginning. So it's a little hard to kind of really grasp what's going on. I mean, we know she's got this list and we know this, but, you know, her memory loss, her the even the list itself, which shows up on probably the first 10 pages is not very (laughs) specific in parts. Mm hmm. Um, you know, so so we're really as disoriented as the the narrator herself is, getting into the story.
1: Yeah, it's really an uphill battle because, um, obviously, toward the beginning of the story, that's when you're trying to build empathy and rapport with the protagonist. Um, and it's the the part of the the story where she knows the least about herself. So there's really not a lot to build your empathy or like you know to to build a rapport with the character off of. Um, so you really, it is a little bit of work at the beginning just to, uh, it's more like you're, you're, for me at least, I don't know if it was the same for you, Livius. I was kind of following along like, okay, where's this going? Or, you know, mm-hmm. what, you know. so uh, it wasn't until, probably for me, that until you get to the second part where you really, it, more people are introduced and, and things are revealed, start becoming revealed to her, like truths, that um, you start really building the empathy and, and getting more
0: sucked into the story, like heavily sucked into the story. Yeah, you know what the fix is for like when the narrator doesn't know what's going on the, and the listener or reader
1: doesn't. I'm going to give you the, uh, the honor of, of announcing
0: this because I know how, how, how deeply you feel about it. This book just didn't have enough dream sequences. That's where I'm at with this. It was probably only 20% dream sequences. And it probably could have stood another 3 or 4% to really to really level it out.
1: I'm going to go ahead and say that, like, if there was any more dream sequences in this book, uh, it would have come with its own harp player. Very nice. Very nice. We need a harp player. There's plenty of times I've wanted that harp music on a podcast. Yeah. I mean, the magic of... of audio editing is i can just put whatever sound in i want to it's but the key is that i want to
0: yeah exactly so the one of the drugs or the main drug that she takes um you know helps her sleep but also gives her very very vivid dreams that of course all the dreams are related not necessarily realistically but to her former life so it's how we kind of learn more about the character and start to develop some sympathy for her is through these flashes she's seeing of time spent with, uh, with her family and primarily her daughter. Yeah. And, and bits and pieces about the, the,
1: the, the, traumatic event that led to where she ends up, um, in a way that I think was structured so that, um, he could reveal kind of in waves, the differences of how the original impression versus like how that looks after learning this information versus later, you know, how it looks after learning more. So, Mm-hmm. That was kind of cool. And, um, and I like that. The drug, by the way, is called Clearwater, which, um, uh, my impression of the drug is that it's kind of nasty, um, which really ties in with Clearwater, Florida, where I have been once and I hated. So, um, all I remember, I was like 10. I got a third degree sunburn. Um, <laughs> I saw a kid with ringworm and, <laughs> <laughs> um, um there, a crab at the beach that's my entire memory of the place but i didn't like oh and playing shuffleboard with some um, girls on spring break who were like in college or something
0: when i was 10 years old it was really weird the ringworm gave me the creeps <laughs> based on that if i were ever to write a book and create a drug i would have to call that <laughs> drug detroit <laughs> sorry sorry detroit oh no it would smell bad it would be like really murky in, in you know in, in substance and color and
1: it just make you sad.
0: Yeah, yeah, make me a little sad. <laughs> it would also not set things on fire on Halloween night.
1: Oh, I see what you—no, it was the night before Halloween. I thought.
0: Well, yeah, well, yeah, that too. Yeah, it's a yeah. Yeah, I watched the movie *The Crow*. Five, five fires when I went to Detroit for that. <laughs> Are you kidding? So me? At least they burn shit down there. Nope. not wow. that year. Yep. Good stuff. All right,
1: back on track. <laughs> Yeah, so that first part we we're talking about, it was a little bit of work. Um, obviously, she's trying to kill these people on her list, and um, we can assume without spoiling too much that she probably is successful to some degree. Um, the second part is where, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to state this, there's more of a level of interaction with interested parties, whether they are or are not on the list. So, um, one of the physical characteristics of her, in, in addition to having lost her legs up to what mid-ish thigh mm-hmm. is that she sustained other injuries, actually I think independently of, of losing the legs that made her face horribly disfigured, which makes it ne- next to impossible to communicate verbally, um, but also makes her look significantly different than she did before this happened. So, I mean, obviously that's just, you know, it's, it's character development and everything, but it's also a way that people who knew her before might not know it's her when she uh, comes into contact with them after the fact. So uh, it's interesting, again, to see how these people interact with her. And then as
0: information comes out, how that changes. So just because you brought that up, I found that uh, that particular, well, something like that particular portion of the book done very well, which was people's reactions to not just her her you know, prosthetic legs, which she's using through a you know, good majority of the book, um, but to her kind of disfigurement. Juan Zala's handled that pretty well, you know, kind of the, the different reactions of people looking away and, you know, finding reasons to to not have to interact with her and even how she uses that in a couple of instances to her advantage.
1: Yeah, for sure. But it, uh, I will say that in the beginning, it did pose a lot of uh, problems for her trying to be an assassin. <laughs> A legless assassin is definitely something very interesting,
0: but the fit. Fa- yeah, I know what you're talking about too. Yeah, her first, her first, um, uh, her first hit, um, takes place from the top of a building. Yeah, so. like the roof of a building. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we kind of join her on the roof, basically, I believe. But yeah, I mean, there's the issue of getting down, and it's a little clumsy. <laughs>
1: and prosthetic legs and all yep. this kind of stuff. It's yeah, it was interesting. It was. I was. I thought this is a really bold way to start the book. Mm-hmm. Like a an amputee, basically scaling down to milding you know, after an assassination attempt. Those amputees, man, You can't keep them down.
0: Nope, handy capable. <laughs> she was a handy overachiever, if you ask me. Yeah, a little bit. Um. Yeah. So <laughs> that's it. We're done talking about the book, because everything else is a spoiler. Um, which I don't necessarily think it's true. I uh. I think that in that second part, when you had talked about adding characters in, I I think that it's important. I think it was very, very important to the book, which I'll probably cover a little more in my wrap up, um, that there are groups, you know, at least three to four distinctive groups that, um, you know, in some ways have to interact with one another, Mm -hmm. but are very independent groups. So they're not always uh, friends with people from the other group, but they're kind of necessary evils. And, and I think that's, for me at least, where the book got very, very interesting. Yeah, exactly. So there's
1: essentially a bunch of different uh, criminal organizations, more or less, who sometimes have similar interests and sometimes just by virtue of the fact that they're all criminal organizations kind of overlap and stuff like that. Someone's got to provide the prostitutes for the gangbangers, is what I'm saying.
0: I really liked about, about that, and, and perhaps in some ways... All right. So accepting that a, um, a paraplegic, or I'm sorry, a person is a what do, what do they call that person? Amputee? No An amputee. Um, you know, could pull these things off if you accept that as reality. When you get to the middle, it gets a little bit, gets a little bit weird. And Rob had actually compiled um, a list of books that this this book might, um, I don't know, reminded him of. I guess. Um, a little bit, in as much as there are amputees, yeah. Well that but, I mean there are some other elements. Yeah. So the one that just came to mind was in and Bravid put in Hell's Half Acre in here, but um a little bit of Penny Dreadful. Because the the criminal element all have this kind of almost and, and I, I say this, I don't mean it as comically as it's gonna sound, but like that Batman super villain. but like they all have very specific personalities. <laughs> That are kind of right. rolled out onto their onto their you know thugs or whatever you want to call it, and, and I found that to be um, one of the more interesting elements of the book for for sure.
1: Yeah, I'll agree. Yeah, definitely. Other there's uh, there's a list of others, but I, I just remembered while we were talking about this that Matthew Matthew McBride had a tweet the other day, um, and it's on Twitter, so I don't think there's any reason we can't say this. Um, uh, I'll read the tweet. It says Jesus just got hit on by a drunk chick with one leg. Um, to which Livius replied, <laughs> "Dude, that's a bucket list item for so many people. How did you pass that up?" And my reply was, "Was she hot?"
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, kind of. It's funny that he got that while we were reading a book within an amputee. Absolutely. I was thinking of a way to explain that to him, and I was like, "This is just way too much work on Twitter. <laughs> I need a 330 character tweet." Uh
1: psychosomatic right the uh anthony neil smith book
0: absolutely and Um, you you mentioned memento which but um, memento but i i put that in there just as a reminder of books with the memory loss and kind of the uh, weird trying to reconstruct why you're doing something right uh, on very very you know limited information um but last days by brian evanson also featured um not just amputees but also some kind of weird groups not necessarily like I was just talking about their criminal element, but kind of these—I you know, like to think of them as like kind of almost like super villain type groups. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, there was you know. So again, I don't. Not that I think that Mr. Gonzalez took anything from any of these, but uh, you know, I like all those books that we just talked about. Uh, Memento, not being a book, of course, the movie. But yeah, I mean, fans of any of those, I think, could could buy into this. Sure, definitely,
1: it's got that. And then I also thought about, for some reason, and this is just more for, like, not necessarily reflecting on this book, but in general, once you start thinking about um, the the combination of, like, the criminal element and, um, you know, disfigured bodies and stuff like that, like, I started thinking about, and this is just a very big memory, so forgive me if I don't know too well, but um, the book uh, Crooked Little Vein by Warren Ellis, mm-hmm. there was some weird stuff going on in that book, too, right? There, there was um, yeah. a lot of that was sexual, though. Yeah, I don't know. It just it's kind of it, we. This kind of doesn't go down the road of deviance much,
0: but like it, mm-hmm. it evokes that feeling, uh, a similar feeling. Yep, I would, I would have to agree with you. Note that we have now put this book with um, lots of absolutely terrific books. That's true. We have we put them right up there. <laughs> Can
1: you talk a little bit about using cripples in books? <laughs> sure. Um, I was thinking about this throughout this is probably the only thought that I had that wasn't um, you know tied directly with the plot Um, but I was thinking about using someone who's handicapped as your protagonist could be interpreted and rightfully so as something that's somewhat of a gimmick um, just for shock value or just to make your book stand out as um, you know something more than just the you know the power of its narrative alone um but then I was thinking about, well, what if you have a legitimate reason for using uh, a handicap person as as a protagonist? Um, then you have to worry about not overcompensating for the fact that people are going to think it's gimmicky. So you kind of have to walk this line uh, of trying to stay authentic by not trying, but not trying to be too authentic at the same time. So um, all that is to say that I think that uh, Gonzalez worked the uh, cripple angle in. Uh, quite well.
0: Yeah, I mean, now that you say that, I, I'm thinking back through the book, and I'm thinking, did she need to not have legs for for this book to work? And, and um, well, I think she actually could have had legs; it still would have been a good story. I I don't know. I guess when I get into a book, I kind of accept it for for for. And we've talked about this before, kind of as canon, like I'm being told a, a true story. Right. So it never occurs to me that Gonzalez made a conscious decision. <laughs> To make this woman legless, if that makes sense. <laughs>
1: like she always like, well, like, well, is. Well, she's yeah. legless
0: because you know she lost her legs. Like, what do you expect him to do? About that? Like, this is my first reaction to that. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think he did a fine job, and I didn't think it was you know gimmicky or, or done necessarily for shock value. It, it certainly presented um, the protagonist with some challenges that may not have uh, been uh, the same challenge to a legged woman. Um, but to be fair, Mrs. Robinson had some, uh, some, some pretty good, you know, self learned training going into this too. So, for sure. So that made up for the for the fact that she's a little shorter than the other people around her.
1: Yeah, and the one thing about um, any kind of ability that that she may or may not have in regards to like you know, fighting or you know combat or anything like that is because she's got the amnesia. I I never th- was not convinced that it was possible or that she would be capable of that type of stuff because I didn't know anything about her so you know you know what I'm saying it kind of worked mm-hmm. for me be- the absence of fact kind of opened the door for whatever
0: yep and no and I'm not I and I didn't mean it in a way to sound dismissive of, of her ability because she does explain a lot of things that she for example after the first um, incident that she has she's like I spent all day and read like three boy scout books on tying knots Yep. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know what I mean? So this is never, ever going to happen again kind of thing. Yeah. You know what? I think, Rob, that it's not necessarily up for us to decide how realistic it is that a handicapped woman could do these things. So Mm -hmm. in the spirit of the journalistic integrity that we strive for on the show, we reached out to an expert. Absolutely. And uh, I can't think of anybody who we
1: would be talking about other than. Adam from Oshkosh, whose legs don't work, who was nice enough to call in and, and give us the, the experienced cripples opinion on this book.
2: So this week you guys are reviewing Miss Massacred by the murder and vengeance. And, uh, so you decided to make a call to the bullpen. Uh, that's a sports reference. Lydia and Rob probably won't get. Um, but for everybody else, that's, uh, when the baseball team, you know, forget it. So, uh, As their resident expert on people whose legs don't work, Adam from Oshkosh, whose legs don't work, um, wanted to call in and just to give you guys a little heads up, anyone who doubts the premise of this book, where uh, someone who loses the use of their legs goes on a murderous spree and takes revenge for the death of her family, um, it's entirely not only possible but plausible, more likely because just like uh people who you know lose sight can hear better people who lose legs want to murder people so it's it's a real standard correlation there also people will let cripples get away with anything so even if someone saw her murder someone on a you know rampage um to in, in revenge of um you know killing her family they probably wouldn't say anything because who's going to believe that you know this poor, crippled person is murdering people. It just, it's un unnatural. So people don't do that. So yeah, so that's uh, just uh, my two cents on your book. Enjoy.
0: All right, and there you have it from an expert on the matter. Um, I do have to say that, goddammit. Um, he touched on something, and I know he hasn't read this book, but he touched on something that the, the protagonist kind of touches on, like cripples can get away with anything. Um,
1: having known Adam and Oshkosh, whose legs don't work, for the entirety of his legs not working, I cannot tell you how true that statement is. Yeah.
0: So there you go. Um, yeah. Murderous, psychopath, handicapped people. Um, all I'm going to say is, uh,
1: that's, that's one of the reasons I keep Adam on my... I, I try to stand Adam's good side is because um, if he goes unhinged, I know he's not... He's getting away with it, so... <laughs>
0: I thought you were going to say that the one reason you stay friends with him is in case we ever need an expert.
1: Oh, oh damn it. That would have been the funnier thing to say. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, uh, All right. We ready to uh, do some quotes and wrap this up?
1: Absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to start this out with, um, this is just a, there's some really, um, quippy clever stuff that's, uh, thrown in throughout the book. And this is one of the lines earlier on that I thought was, uh, kind of funny and it's, uh, the protagonist thinking about um, the awkward situation of a conversation she's having with someone who has a, sp- has like a stutter or speech impediment because it's very difficult for her to speech- speak as well. We've got enough speech impediment stored up between us to last the rest of the year. <laughs> oh, I like that. Here's another one uh, from the same interaction, more or less. Uh, this is the other person talking and um, I just thought it was kind of funny. I get it. Get. I understand what you're. Why you're, fucking bitch. Why, <laughs> this is like really how it, how it's written. What I think of her, like it's some test. I know she's evil, evil, evil. That's pretty evil. Or it might be his speech impediment.
0: <laughs> all right. Um, this is from fairly early on in the book. Waking up into this new life, finding my house trashed. All I could do is scrape together money things to pawn, and then get on with my life. It's not like I'm Bruce Wayne. I'm not stockpiling these things in a cave beneath a mansion. I keep all of my legs under a tarp in the back of my van. In my past life, I had a lot of shoes. A lot. We live and learn. This one's a little bit on the
1: long-winded side, um, but I thought it was a nice kind of uh, analysis of the different types of like rich people versus like the more struggling people. There's no such thing as a bad part of town. There are two worlds, one where people were lucky enough to find themselves enslaved by jobs, bills, families, anything to take their mind off the decay that surrounds them, any pointless task that can be marketed, polished, and sold to give someone a feeling of hope, progress, and meaning in their life. And then there's the feudal society that opened my eyes and made me aware of life, true life, every reeking, lurking, disgusting nook and cranny of it, where people have to move, have to struggle, or die. Heavy shit right there. Very nice. Yeah.
0: I have two, and the reason I'm going to put them together is not necessarily their proximity in the book, but descriptive value. All I could hear was the screaming of his corduroy pants as he scuffed away. I imagine it's what a 300-pound cricket would sound like. That was good. And then the next one was... um, Um, She's driving along, and it's raining, and there's water hissing underneath my car like one long ripping strip of newsprint. Nice. Yeah, it took me a second. I had to like think on that one, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. This one, um,
1: I just liked for the goofiness of it, and it's taking place later on in the book, so I'm going to be a little bit vague about it. I really have to pee. I don't know how long I've been holding it, but it feels like days. Hitting those gates isn't going to help. Then again, all this jostling isn't doing wonders. Adrenaline and fear are keeping all of my most important muscles clenched, which is good.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There you have it. There's another um, one there's a a, a a thing that happens at, like a kid soccer game. And uh, this morning things are ugly. kids everywhere. It's Lord of the Flies by Disney. All of these tiny tribes in their brightly colored uniforms—they're so proud of their cheap T-shirts, their horrible cutesy sponsored team names emblazoned on their backs. It's good oh, Lord, stuff. by Disney.
1: Yeah. This one, another just kind of funny one. I'm here, laying across Francis's body, rocking back and forth, looking at the ceiling, like relaxing on a big, dying, bleeding cow, waiting to become a leather sofa. Poor Francis.
0: Um. This is. Again, a lot of the stuff I like is is referential. Um, there's a there's a, a vehicular accident. I open the door and see one long leg angling out from under the van, clad in a black and white striped legging. Now I know how Dorothy felt. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, I've got just one last one, and this one is a little more serious. And I just I love the imagery of this. The floor is clean, no blood anywhere, empty. A clean room is just a space waiting for a mess to be made.
0: I like that one a lot too. Yeah. And then my final one. I was checking to see if this was spoiler free, because again, it's pretty late into the book. The man moves another step closer to me. The mirrors here run floor to ceiling, playing out our little dance in stereo. Seeing our frozen reflection, we look like something you could pick up from any hack artist, some anguished coffeehouse soul by the beach. Half a woman cowering in the corner, a faceless man menacing her. That would make a goddamn great painting. <laughs> um, I, I, it's too bad neither of us
1: are, are painters. No, no.
0: No, but we know what would make things good.
1: Yeah, and that's enough for me. Yeah, exactly. We're critics.
0: Um, you ready to wrap this up? Yeah, you go first. I want you to, to lead off on this one. Got it. All right, so um, longtime fans of the show will know that I hate dream sequences. But um, I did see a value in them in this particular book. Still think they're a little heavy handed and too many of them, but like two is often way too many for me. Um, as Rob had mentioned, you know, I didn't think about the book being in three parts, I knew it was in three parts. Um, I struggled. I struggled with part one and I struggled to stay with it. But man, when we got into part two, this book got really goddamn good and, and kept that pace up um, throughout to the end. Lots of interesting things we couldn't, um, didn't want to talk about um, because it is a very, uh, the book is very spoilery. I mean, pretty early on, you know, 30, so, 30% so, thirty into the book, you know, is when you can really start spoiling things. And, and we didn't want to do that. So um, if you decided to read it and you're having trouble with it at the beginning, I guarantee you this book will deliver um, at the end. Um, I didn't even think about him using a cripple as I told Rob. It's like someone's telling me a story. I can't accept the, uh, the character for what it is. So I didn't really um, feel one way or the other uh, about the, the use of, of someone who's handicapped. Um, but it didn't affect the book for me at all. Um, ultimately, and this is including dream sequences and including a first third that I had trouble wrapping my mind around. Still, this is going to be a four-star book for me. a, a big four stars.
1: What does a big four-star
0: mean? Like, like I'm, like, I'm not heaven and Han about four-stars. Like, it's four-stars and maybe a little more. But the goddamn dream sequences, man. Gonzalez. <laughs> that Jesus took off Christ. a good star, star for you? Holy crap. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, like we said before, and, and Livius kind of echoed the first part, a little bit um, more work. I'm not going to say I struggled with it, but it was a little more work. And to just to get to the to get to the point in the book where you could empathize um, more and feel more comfortable in the story. Um, it's like wearing in a pair of shoes a little bit. Um, but once it gets rolling man, like Livia said, it's it, it rolls well and um, one thing I, I think it's difficult to point out when we're just summarizing a book is is, the details of any individual moment. So, uh, yeah, there's a there's a handicapped woman who's who's trying to kill people because she lost her family. Um, but that doesn't explain that there's scenes where um, you know someone is laying on the floor, essentially getting stomped on, but with a a shoe that's uh, or with a like a prosthetic foot that's been especially made with a knife on the bottom of it to kick people with, um, or there's you know there's other scenes that are that are kind of more weirdly erotic and stuff like that. So um, we did a good job of painting the broad strokes, but within the within the story, there's a lot of really weird, um, really entertaining and just um, some disturbing stuff as well. So um, it's definitely dense with um, imagery and with um, the things that go on. Uh, dug the story and the kind of. Unreliable narrator plot uh, with all the mystery and kind of the clues that are you know change and and un- unravel as the story goes on worked uh, quite well. Um, overall, the book was was really good, um, and I wouldn't even count the the kind of more labor I had to put into it at the beginning. And actually, if you think about it, the the work you have to do at the beginning almost mirrors how difficult the struggles of the, the protagonist feel. So it's almost kind of poetic in a way. Um, so yeah, overall dug it. And, um, I'm going to go
0: with four stars for it. You know, Gonzalez mentioned the other day on, uh, on Facebook that he was looking at some, um, Oh, like handicap groups, like reading groups. And and I thought this is a terrible, like, I don't know. I just saw that and I was like, Oh, (laughs) this is almost as bad an idea as sending Miss Massacre shotgun shells with, like, sugar pills or whatever they are in them through the mail, which I'm still waiting for for mine, by the way. Yeah. Well, but uh, Gonzalez is just having, like, the bad ideas of promotion. He's going to be jailed. He's going to be hunted down by, by handicapped people who think that he's mocking them.
1: The upside is we're going to finally figure out whether sending uh, novelty shotgun shells through the mail is a federal crime or not. I know, right? Because both you and I are way too pussy to have tried
0: it. We talked about it for
1: years. <laughs> I mean, we're even too pussy to just ask someone who works at the post
0: office or <laughs> Google it. I'm waiting to go out to the mailbox, like, grab my mail and then be attacked by a SWAT team. <laughs> oh, no. Poor Livius. Because
1: oh, then you'll be receiving.
0: It? I don't know. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, I'll be receiving some type of contraband. yeah um, this is Gonzales's plot to take over my spot on the show. This is how Livius became an outlaw. <sighs> so, all right, <clears throat> moving on to, um, to other things. We have um, we have a new segment on the show uh, with a new um, <laughs> host for that segment. You sound so like nervous about this. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I don't know how, how to really address this because I know it's a new host. He sounds so goddamn familiar
1: Hmm, yeah
0: like, I can't, familiar, I can't but place it
1: the, If you could cut through the douchiness Maybe we could get to the bottom of this, I don't know
0: Here's Malik something or another with Words Eye View
3: Hello and welcome to Words Eye View On Public Radio Broadcasting our look at the world's books through the eye of words. I'm your host, Malik Tombali. On today's show, we'll be discussing and hypothesizing on the meaning of Joseph Conrad's horror in his seminal work, The Heart of Darkness. Conrad paints a picture with words you read with your eyes of a man, Charles Marlow, as he journeys through a Congo, colonized by European powers. On the way up the river, Marlowe meets Kurtz, who is, to put it lightly, the worst. The following is an excerpt from Heart of Darkness. Anything approaching the change that came over his features, I have never seen before, and hope to never see again. Oh, I wasn't touched. I was fascinated. It was as though a veil had been rent. I saw on that ivory face the expression of somber pride, of ruthless power, of craven terror, of an intense and hopeless despair. Did he live his life again in every detail of desire, temptation, and surrender, during that supreme moment of complete knowledge? He cried in a whisper at some image, at some vision he cried out twice, a cry that was no more than a breath. The horror... But what is the horror? Some say it was the people of the Congo, or the way the Europeans treated them. Some argue it was life itself, others racism and hate. Could it be a man with legs that don't work on a scooter in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, mowing down people in groups? We took the tweets for this question, and here's what you said the horror was. At Stephanie M. says, When Starbucks is out of soy milk. At Dave Hotpants tweeted, The line at the Whole Foods on Sundays. Gak. And finally, Will W. said, Butts. Now the New York Times bestsellers in fiction wine pairing list for the week. James Patterson's NYPD Red 2 is dry and flavorless. Like this Chablis by Carlo Rossi. Donna Tart's The Goldfinch's Bold Colors Work Best with this Scharfenberger Brute Rose. Carnal Curiosity by Stuart Woods is rich with succulent mouthfeel. Enjoy with Mosby's Roch Michel. Lisa Scottline's Keep Quiet sings out loud when read with a two thousand and ten Old Vine Malbec. Finally, Flash Boys by Michael Lewis drives the thrills into your heart with the fortified classic, Night Train. Thank you for opening your eyes with me, Malik Tombali, and Words I View. Coming up after Booked, stay captivated with Bernard Whitmore's travelogue discussion expedition, Listen to Me, I've Been to Europe. PBR Public Broadcast Radio.
1: So that was Words Eye View, um, by Malik, right? Something or other. That was yeah, Malik,
0: Something or another. I think is what it's what he said.
1: Here's here's what I think. What sounds so familiar is uh, for you is um, he did like a New York Times like five things at the end. A lot that might, be it. A lot like book new, like book to news used to do before. Skip papersley went mysteriously m- went missing under mysterious circumstances. Yeah.
0: Well, we've got another segment. That's all we're really worried about. Yeah, it's
1: really. I mean, if if we can get someone to talk about books for two minutes, that's a minute each less that we have to do. Dude, when I listen to this,
0: I was reminded of when I used to listen to our podcast exclusively on Stitcher we were very frequently followed by a podcast called fresh air. (laughs) Right. Right. Fuck. That guy just sounded just like, (laughs) I couldn't, I couldn't get to my phone fast enough to like skip to something else. Like, like books, beer and bullshit, something that wouldn't put me immediately to sleep with its pretentiousness. Well,
1: speaking of pretentiousness, I think this actually gives us a shot at making it to like NPR. Like if we got an NPR, think about that would be, that would be a kind of big, big step for us.
0: Yeah, it would be, but they don't pay either, right? Um, Isn't it like non nonprofit radio? Isn't that what, what they NPR have the stands drives for? Drives for? Yeah, nonprofit radio, NPR.
1: I don't know. It's an act- <laughs> do, you, do you know what it actually stands for? Yes, <laughs> I know what it actually
0: okay. stands for. It's National Public Radio. <laughs> yeah. A nonprofit radio, much funnier. Not paying Romanians. Yeah, exactly. Oh, speaking of which, <laughs> to go back to the Gonzalez book, and I don't know if this is directly slight at me. <laughs> But there is a character who's on the list, so I think it's safe to say that, you know, to, without spoiling it, that he's a villain, whose last name is very distinctly Romanian. Oh, really? Yeah. I'd open up my Kindle and try to find it, but it's Fortescu, or, I think.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So I don't know if that was a jab personally at me or if he knows the other Romanian living in the United States, but.
1: <laughs> Besides
0: your mom, your mom and dad, right? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And now I'm I'm regular sizing his stars, his four stars now. Now that I remember that. Now that he's attacking Romanians. Yep.
1: That's fair. I mean, you can't. I can't. I can't argue with
0: that. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Do you want to know what this podcast interrupted? Hmm. I was drinking wine and listening to the new Winger CD. Okay. By yeah. CD, I mean through a play music service. But wing. Wait, Winger. To do this winger winger has a new uh, a new album out
1: the didn't they do that she's only 17 song
0: they did do that and, and Madeleine i i don't know and about there, was, there was there were some other songs that nobody knows yeah but winger All right, that well. was nice following on the on, on the on the news that you know that you told me um, earlier did you want to break that news to our listeners too oh yeah um <laughs> I, I happened to
1: notice on uh, when I was flipping through my computer right over and I saw the, the interwebs that the singer of the band Rat uh, quit the band. Which, um, Livius, uh, I, I told Livius this and he, he had heard, I guess you'd heard about it recently, right? Mm, yep. My response was, <laughs> I'm so proud of this joke. I'm going to say it again for the record. Um, yeah, you know who else quit the band? The entire audience like 30 years ago. But um, that's right i'll be here all week <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right
1: world, world <clears throat> words i view uh featuring malik i'm gonna have to figure out his name for the next time we have it on but that's going to be our new book related news uh segment for the foreseeable future um hopefully it gets us a little attention from npr hopefully not yep. in the form of like a restraining order or uh you know something like that cease and desist
0: between that and adam whose legs don't work calling in we're this far away from being a morning zoo radio show because <laughs> we've got rob hart who could do traffic and weather
1: <laughs> that's right <laughs> all we need is the former like, singer of rat to come on and talk to us about books
0: yeah see i'm telling you man we we could be we could be the new howard stern sure why not i okay all right back back to serious book related stuff um one other thing i wanted to mention and um i didn't think this was going on this kickstarter was going on for this long which is why we didn't mention it on the last show because i thought it was almost over but andy bergen friend of this show um, is doing a graphic novel of tobacco stained mountain goat which we reviewed here like 15 years ago that is exactly to the date 15 years ago Yep, 15 years ago today, we reviewed that here on this podcast. Um, the cool thing about this... Now, we've told you about other Kickstarters. The cool thing about this is if you get in now, it's already funded with almost a month to go. So now there's a stretch goal where there will be additional color pages added. Um, but yeah, you can totally do this and get a graphic novel version of Tobacco Stain Mountain Goat. That's rem- such a good book. I remember digging that
1: book a lot. Mm-hmm. So exciting exciting stuff can i tell you what i'm excited about yes our website
0: our website is pretty goddamn badass
1: so we we recently did a little bit of a redesign and by redesign i mean we bought a new theme for wordpress <laughs>
0: what uh, do you mean by we so i got the redesign part what do you mean by we i oh i'll get your credit card back to you <laughs>
1: um the reason that we did this was um it, for me, personally, I just kind of get restless about things looking the same for a long amount of time. Also, the website we had going on was a little bit cluttered and and, and not the best to navigate, so it was a lot of work. This new layout is very podcast-friendly, so um, it really focuses on, on the playing, uh, downloading, and subscribing aspects of a podcast, and it's very, very minimal-looking. So um, you show up you see a list of of episodes you see the book you know uh, art or whatever happens to be on there and just a quick link to get in there and and you're playing and, and it's really nice and and minimal looking so the idea was uh clean it up make it more focused on just getting there and playing audio and and not having to see a whole bunch of other crap all over the place
0: we just try to make this as easy as we can for you to listen
1: and additionally um this is set up so that you've got kind of the podcast right up front and center, but there's also going to be a blog el- element to it where, in um, an entirely different area, you click on a link that's called Blog, and we'll just have non-audio non episode kind of content, so we've got all these pictures from all the readings and, and live events and just hangouts and stuff we've been to, we're going to start throwing up galleries of, of those photos, so... You can listen to an event, but you can also go check out a gallery of all, all the images from, from when we were there. So that's going to be – I hope that will be
0: something that uh, is interesting to people as well. Dude, at one point you said non-audio episode, and I was like, yes, now we can do these <laughs> episodes without even talking. Like, that's exactly what uh, I've been going it. for this whole time, <laughs> the non-audio episode. Oh, oh god damn it. Um, yeah, so definitely check it out. Tell your friends about it. Um, don't forget uh, numerous places. So if you're not in front of a computer, because I know that I've tried listening on my phone through the browser um, from the website, doesn't work real well. Don't forget iTunes if you're one of those people. One of those kind of people. Yeah, just one of those people. Stitcher for the rest of us and TuneIn Radio, um, which I got. We got an email from them today. <laughs> oh, you know what? The email was because our account was hacked.
1: Oh, is that what it is?
0: Yeah. So, all right. I get this email from them today. It says, hello, thank you for your email. This is a quick confirmation to let you know we've received your email and be working as quickly as possible to get back to you. And I'm like, I had to send them an email with all of our information like three months ago when I put us on there and they're just now (laughs) like getting back to us. Um, But no, no, we were, we were hacked. So if um, for some reason you were in our address book and you received an email with just a link. Um, go to that link and immediately put in your credit card information. That's how you can support this podcast.
3: <laughs>
0: oh
1: yeah! Anytime your your email is hacked, you get that barrage of people that like the the good Samaritans that that message you and tell you that your email is hacked. And someone was yep. it Dan from Fat Nate? Two. two. I think it was Dan, Dan from Fat Nate and
0: Craig Wall emailed. Us. Yeah. <laughs>
1: The Dan one uh, that, that we received, uh, he just did a screenshot and then and was basically telling us that we had been hacked. And Livius just responded with,
0: just click the link. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, yeah, just put in your credit card information. <laughs> if you ever get that I'm a prince in Romania email, that one's us too. Yeah, just me. It's not Rob. Rob's no prince. I'm too busy doing working on
1: the podcast to actually like be able to have time to leisurely scam people.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. You know, when I was younger, I actually thought duping old people was a career that I could do that when I was older because it seemed really easy and fairly lucrative. Oh, I have a response. I'm not going to say on the podcast. They're smarter than I thought they were. (laughs) You're getting
1: all the, the clever old
0: people, I guess. Yeah, they're like, I don't have a nephew named Livius. I'm like, no, really. Oh. <laughs> I don't have a
1: nephew. That's the problem. You can use a fake name, you know. Oh, huh. Interesting. I'll have to give that some thought.
0: <laughs> Check back later for <sighs> Livius' update on scamming old people. That's right. All right. Um, ready to talk about next week? Exciting. I'm excited.
1: This is a long time coming. We haven't read anything by this guy in a while, and we haven't read the, the lead-in book for this. Oh, man, that was before the podcast even existed.
0: Well, before, yes. So one of uh, mine and Rob, collectively, uh, one of our favorite authors from way back when, long before we were doing this podcast, Christopher Moore finally has a new book out. It is uh, called The Serpent of Venice and will be our review next week. I'm looking at my shelf right now. I have seven signed books by Christopher Moore. Dude, did you bring that many with you to that signing? Oh, no, no. Okay, yeah. You had a couple before, right? Yeah, a couple already. And then
1: I brought... But he did sign like five things for me that night. Oh, cool. Very cool. I learned that from my uncle. Anyway, um, yeah, Christopher Moore, Serpent of Venice, coming up. It's the... Did you say it was a follow-up to Fool? Am I just... I don't believe I said that. Yeah. It's the, the follow-up. It, it contains characters from the book Fool that came out, was that uh, 2010? It might have been. That sounds about right. 010, as we call it. 010,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You already
0: cracked it open, right? Oh, yeah. I'm 10% of the way in. But you know what I noticed today while our email is being hacked? That that is actually our booked <laughs> podcast profile picture is us with him.
1: Oh, that's right. We have to leave it that way. I was just thinking lately that we need to change that but now we can't at least another week. Yeah. One other thing that I want to mention before we uh, <laughs> finally let, we'll let all you guys go for the evening or for the morning or whenever you're listening to this is um, our our collaboration with the crime wave podcast is up and running. Our first hosted episode uh, featuring Kenneth Wishnia reading from his book. Red house is live over at the crime wave feed. So if you want to hear us talking uh, very awkwardly about stuff that's not from Booked. That's a great place to go. And um, here's some crime fiction while you're at it. And um, we got some exciting stuff on the horizon for Crime Wave as well.
0: Can we, can we tease the next one? I mean, our listeners have probably heard this already. Yeah, yeah. One of the best readings that, um, that we were at, um, specifically for the content in this story, um, and I, I don't know, it's from The Last Projector. So by David James Keaton. It's from AWP 2011? 2012. 2012. 2012, um, That was in Chicago. Um, Yeah, just just awesome stuff. Had breakfast. If that doesn't remind you people what I'm talking about, I don't know what to tell you. I'm going to make an admission now.
1: I've never told you this before, Olivius, but uh, that episode I probably listen to at least once a week. (laughs) i could probably explain
0: the high number of downloads on that one particular (laughs) episode because it's got like a hundred something just from you
1: probably yeah it's it's once or twice a week i listen to that it's just so entertaining i think it's the first time we saw is it the first time we saw keaton live read something
0: yes yeah
1: and it was just like eye-opening how entertaining the guy was so um i i could i could quote so much of that verbatim it's 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 ridiculous. Like the line, "Probably satisfied to be paid in chickens and tracksuits." I'm really
0: happy with that line. Anyway, <laughs> that's crazy. Jeez. It's getting. Yeah, oh, oh wait, wait, <laughs> hold on. David James Keaton lawyers on the phone getting a restraining order against you, oddly, and not me. That's that's different.
3: Well,
1: his uh, great uncle is getting a restraining order against you because you're trying to scam old people. <laughs>
0: I got a nephew, but he's a no-good bastard writer.
1: That's what happens every time I call. Um, so yeah, that that episode's getting some some new life and and getting in front of some new ears, in front of new ears, into new ears, um, over at Crime Wave, and we've got um, we're in talks with a few other people too already for recording some, uh, crime stuff there. So hopefully we'll be bringing a little bit of the booked flavor, over to as far as like authors that we know over to. Uh, to the crime wave podcast
0: very exciting stuff so if that doesn't give you a whole bunch of stuff to do until we come back with a new episode i don't know what will and i don't care what will exactly all right rob has to get back to to doing website stuff so we're gonna let you go for this week until next time i'm Livia nudden
1: and i'm rob olson keep reading